the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Today we'll return to the book of Hebrews, and that's where the Spirit of God, through his pen, through the pen of the author, presses the Hebrews towards perseverance, as I said, perseverance in faith. And last time we left off in verse 12 of chapter 6, and I want to go back and touch on those verses, 11 and 12, in order to establish a connection between what we'll be talking about in the context of the verses that follow. Our actual text for today will be verses 13 through 15, and I will be reading verses 11 through 15. Verse 11, And we desire for each one of you to show the same diligence all the way through, so as to realize and enjoy the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be spiritually sluggish, but will instead Be imitators of those who through faith lean on with absolute trust and confidence in him and in his power and by patient endurance, even when suffering, are now inheriting the promises. For when God made the promise to Abraham, he swore an oath by himself, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he realized the promise in the miraculous birth of Isaac as a pledge of what was to come from God. Now, let's remember that the person who's speaking here, though the author has written it out, the person who's speaking here is actually the Spirit of God speaking to the Hebrews. And the Spirit is encouraging them to press on to maturity. And as I said, maturity is not a passive pursuit, and it's not done overnight. None of us became adults overnight, and some of us are still working at it. The reality of maturity is that it it is moment by moment, step by step, day by day. Pretty soon, moments turn into days, days turn into months, months turn into years. And before you know it, you're like me, you're looking in the mirror going, where did the time go? What happened? 
Maturity spiritually is a continuance of faith that says, I will, every day of my life, consider that I am in union with his spirit. I will, every day of my life, bow my knee before him and declare him as Lord of everything. Recognizing that I don't go into anything without him. Recognizing that he has gone before me in all things. I will not live without hope because to live without hope is to live without faith. I will put my trust in him for he is faithful. Now that is a determination that we make even though our eyes may not see it. Even though our circumstances may not demonstrate it. We determine that we will trust the Lord as for me and my house. That is the way we live life in growth. That is the way we mature. That is the way we come into the fullness of all that God created us for. And we don't know what that is. We don't know what the fullness of all God created you for actually looks like. But you know more about it now than you did at age 15. And for you 15-year-olds, you'll know it more later. I don't think I have any out there. The reality of it is, is that we grow into truth. Your mom and dad didn't come in when you were five and throw the car keys at you and say, get yourself to the kindergarten. Why? Because maturity is a matter of growth. And you didn't have a clue. They didn't get mad at you because you didn't know how to drive the car. God is not angry with you because you're not beyond where you are today. He may be grieved because you're refusing to go forward. Now that's what was going on with the Hebrews. They were refusing to go forward. The Spirit is encouraging them to press on to maturity. They were vulnerable to the appetites of the flesh. They were becoming accustomed to living in the flesh. Their faith had become weak. Faith was no longer their way of life. And as we saw last time, the word desire that his desire for them indicates a longing. And this is not like we long for pizza. This is a a longing like a loved one longs for the return of their loved one. It's a passionate longing. He longs for them to return to truth. As a lack of their diligence in the pursuit of truth and their diminishing desire to grow and abide in their intimate union with the Spirit of God, they began to look towards Judaism. Here's the thing, guys. I know many Christians who have walked according to the flesh for a while. And they will begin to grieve within them because the Spirit of God is grieved, and they'll think, okay, I'm going to return. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read my Bible every day because they believe returning is an act that we do, something we do. When in truth, returning is a continuance of faith that says, I will read the Word of God because I love the one who wrote it. Because I want to know him. Returning is not what we do. It's the heart with which we do it. And we don't 
turn from the point of deciding that we're no longer going to live to the flesh. We don't immediately come into uh, a, a position where we are now feeling all spiritual and now we have a desire for the word of God. Now we have an appetite for the things of God. Now we're going to run and embrace all the things of God. We don't want to miss all the church meetings. We want to make sure we go to everything. No, that doesn't happen. If you haven't been spending time in the Word of God, picking up the Bible is not going to be something that you will readily do. If you haven't been spending time in prayer consistently, if you've not been seeking Him in prayer, if you're not working in a relationship with Him, then prayer will not be something that you walk into. And I'm not talking about praying at God. I'm talking about literally sharing your heart with Him. It won't be easy. It is it is, and in, in its essence, requires a determination on your part. It was even more difficult for the Hebrews. And I'll tell you why, since you asked. As a result of their lack of faith, they were looking at returning towards Judaism. Now, it's important for the child of God to recognize that in every moment of life, the choice must be made. And that choice is between walking according to the flesh or walking by the truth. Living according to the flesh and the appetites of the flesh or living according to the Spirit or by the Spirit. And faith is not required to live by the flesh. It's an interesting fact. They say that if you pick up an addiction... Let's say you're 15 years old and you start drinking heavily. And, and you drink until you're like 23. You obviously have an alcohol problem. At whatever point you picked up alcohol, that is your level of coping when you're 23. In other words, if you picked it up at 15, when you turn 23 and leave alcohol, guess what your level of coping is? A 15-year-old. That's what happens when we embrace coping mechanisms of the world. We leave off the maturing work of the Spirit of God. And then we want to be able to be, a, be ahead of where we left behind. But it doesn't work that way. It's a progressive work. It's hard for us to think about. It's not a work that we do. It's a work by faith we determine to embrace. Faith is not required according to living to the flesh. This was not the way that the Hebrew believers had lived all these years. This was not an easy choice for Hebrew believers. In order to embrace Christianity, they had to turn their backs on the way they had lived for generations. Their family's identity, the religious identity that their families had suffered and died to maintain. Judaism wasn't like the pagan religions that were around them. They were, this Judaism was established by God in the Old Testament. Uh, its ceremonies, its festivals, its liturgies, all of that was set forth in the Old Testament. There was a glory and magnificence in the great temple, and it was always before them. There was, there were golden altars and rich vestments worn by their priests that they saw each time they went into worship. There were the traditions in the daily living, where they shopped, where they ate, what they did, the way they approached their God in worship. And then, of course, their families and associations, both in home and commerce. Rejecting Judaism wasn't just re rejecting religion. It was literally rejecting a way of life, the way their parents had lived, the way their grandparents had lived. 
everybody had lived before them. Now, here's the thing, though. I've said all this to you before, but I want you to look at the other side of the street. They had become Christians, right? And Christians didn't have a great temple. They didn't. They met in small groups. They didn't have a golden altar. Their ministers didn't wear bejeweled investment uh, vestments. They met in small groups. They were poor. It was the common man. They would come together, sing a few psalms and praises, and listen to the word of God being read. They would share in communion, and then perhaps a fellowship meal. Now that was it. And from a world's worldly point of view, that was rather lackluster compared to the gigantic, immense, golden ceremony that took place in the temple. So you can imagine there was a great temptation for them to look back, to remember those days. And now they were enduring persecution under the same high priest that they once went to worship with. We have a new life in Christ, and it isn't easy to live. It is difficult to turn away from the old way of living according to the flesh, isn't it? It's easy, it is easy to return to the practice of living outside of the context of his presence. It is so easy to live as though the things of this world define life for us. It is easy to look at the world with envy and covetous desire. To want to live like they do, to look like they do, to act like they do. And as I said last time, the flesh is never unique. It is a worldly limbing. The modern Christian does not have to make such a radical show of his faith. None of us did, did we? And I think we're the poorer for it. I think those people who are willing to sacrifice it all and literally had to in order to demonstrate and to enter into the fullness of all that they embraced in Christianity. They owned it. They owned it. Just as the enemy called to the Israelites to return to the slavery of Egypt, these Hebrews were being called back to the temple in Judaism. He calls us to live, the enemy calls us to live according to the flesh. And God tells us we are to walk and live according to the Spirit. He calls us to live in union with himself, in the truth of that union, in holiness and truth, not in the ways of the world and self-indulgence. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. And we desire for each one of you to show the same diligence all the way through so as to realize and enjoy the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be spiritually sluggish, but will instead be imitators of those who, through faith, lean on with absolute trust and confidence in him and in his power, and by patient endurance, even when suffering, are now inheriting the promises. Now, to show is the Greek word indaknomi. And it means to demonstrate, to manifest, to display. And that's not just to have a casual faith that can hide itself behind compromise or worldly behavior. It is to express the truth in the way you speak, in the way you live. It is a consistent diligence. The Greek word there, diligence, is pude. It means a determination, an urgency, an earnestness in accomplishing. Why? Why should we do that? 
Why should we live that way? Because in doing so, you will experience the full assurance of hope. That's what he says. Hope is a fruit or a product of the Spirit of God. It is in the obedience of living to it and from truth that we realize and enjoy the hope that resides in our spirit. It awaits revelation. It is the practice of faith. It is the refusal to forsake the truth even when it is unclear. Faith and hope are actually inseparable. Your spirit dwells in truth, the truth of your union with his spirit. It lives in the hope of the certain fulfillment of all that God has in terms of his purposes and his desires for you. Hope is trust in what God has declared concerning you. Hope allows you to walk in the confidence of all that God determines to do on your behalf. Hope is not in what you may achieve. Hope is in what God has already achieved. And it's yielding in that hope. It's walking in trust with him that we are able to be encouraged and express with diligence, determination, all that he has put in us to live it out. Because in living it out, you experience the full assurance of hope. Without living it out, you don't know it. I use the example all the time that unless what is true of your spirit is expressed through your soul, you really don't know it. Unless love, joy, peace, patience, all that God says that you are, is yielded to and expressed through your mind, will, and emotions, you really don't know it. You're reading about it, but you're not living in it. Faith and hope must come together. It is so that we can walk in the fulfillment of God's purposes to endure to the end. We need the same saving work in the soul that took place at our spiritual birth. This salvation is not eternal salvation, but the work of the Spirit in our souls in order that we may live in the truth moment by moment. And so that you will not be spiritually lethargic. Lethargic means lazy, given to allow your flesh to dictate your pursuits, your energies, your appetite, your desire, and all the while maintaining a measure of sentimental devotion to the truth that fails to captivate you. And no longer hold your interest. Now this is the result of not living in determined play. And the diligent pursuit of truth. This is what becomes of an undisciplined soul or believer. Now every one of us understand the benefits of exercise, don't we? We may not want to admit it, but we do. And reality is that if you do not exercise consistently, you will find yourself unable to do as much as you'd like to do. Now, I am beginning to realize this more and more as I get older, that if you don't use it, guess what? You lose it, right? Exercise is very important. Every one of us know that. We begin to give attention to those things when we get up in the morning and can't get put our socks on because we haven't stretched, have trouble getting ourselves together because we're so feeble now, lose our balance at any given moment. All of these things can be restored. The muscles don't go away unless they're ignored. Then they atrophy. We understand this in exercise. But do we understand this in faith? 
Do we understand this in a diligence of the spirit that says, I will put my focus upon him. I will walk in the truth of all that he's shown me. I will desire him. Now, here's the thing. We talk about a passionate desire towards the Lord. That's not an emotion. It's a determination. Do you know the difference? Because many of us, when we, when we talk about passion, probably think of an emotion, probably think this is something that's stirred in my emotion, something that I need to awaken. No, it's a determination that says, I will, I will. You know what? My father quoted the verse. God says to us, he says, I will not, I will not in any way loose my grip upon you. Well, that's God's determination. And he's given it to his children to hold to the truth that he has put within you, to hold to the faith that he has called you to. He didn't give you all of these things and say, well, I hope you uh, can figure out how to use it. Kind of like my iPhone. No, he literally gave you the equipment to do and the intelligence through the Spirit of God to go forward in it. The difference between the thorny ground and the good ground that is illustrated in the parable that Jesus tells of the sower, that's in Luke 8, is that the hearer brings forth fruit with patience and perseverance. It's a continuance in faith and diligence that reveals his disciples. It's continuing in living by faith, not being drawn away from hope. Colossians 1.23 says, And he will do this if you continue in the faith, well-grounded and steadfast and not shifting away from the confident hope that is a result of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which gospel I, Paul, was made a minister. To the end. He says it to the end. It's not over. If you're still here, what God has for you is not over. To the end for us is in terms of what God wants to mature you to, what God wants to create in you in this life experience will be death. That's it. But going into eternity, it will go forward. We need to recognize That God, who is the author and finisher of our faith, wants us to walk in full fullness of truth and to keep our eyes upon him. To the end, that speaking of continuance, perseverance, diligence in the things of God. God declares that diligence is a pathway to hope. In 2 Peter 2, 110, he says, therefore, believers, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be sure that your behavior reflects and confirms your relationship with God. For by doing these things, actively developing these virtues, you will never stumble in your spiritual growth and will live a life that leads others away from sin. The author is saying, instead of being spiritual sluggards who do not live with determined faith or diligence, we instead are to be imitators of those who through faith lean on God and with absolute trust and confidence in him and in his power and patient endurance even when suffering and are now inheriting the promises. Now, he's referring to the Old Testament patriarchs, okay? 
which would have been very relevant to the Hebrews because they were very familiar with the lives of the Old Testament patriarchs. But that's beside the point. What he is saying that in, in the example of the patriarchs is these are people that endured without ceasing. These are people that held to their faith. These people under all kinds of uh, duress and unfortunate circumstances held to him. And he's saying, look to them. Look how they came into the truth of the promises. Then he moves to verse 13 and talks about Abraham. He said, for when God made the promise to Abraham, he swore an oath by himself since he had no one greater by whom to swear saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. Now let's talk about Abraham. He received the promises of God. What if when he received the promises of God, he would have asked the question, you are God and I will gladly receive your blessing, but what if I sin against you? Will you still bless me? And God would respond, even if you sin, I will bless you. And Abraham could have said, well, what if uh, my children become idolaters? Will you still bless me? And God would have said, Abraham, of course, I will still bless you. You see, the promises of God were never conditional, and they're not conditional for you either. Abraham was a, was a liar. He urged his wife to lie. His son Jacob was a crook. His greatest son David was an adulterer and a murderer. Yet the omniscient God declares, I will bless you, Abraham. As one theologian proposed, what if we were to ask, why, Lord? God would say, because I am God and not man. Though you believe not, I remain faithful. That's unmerited grace. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.